0: The yeshiva.net. Today's Shir is dedicated in honor and memory of Riptsvihershbrabi Heskal in honor of the art site. Today, the first day of Rishkhajdish Adr, dedicated by his daughter, Shari Sophir, who graces us with her presence every week. Thank you very much. And Tahe Nishmasit it may be a good a better for you, the entire family, and for all of the Jewish people. <laughs> Amen. What we want to explore today is a story in the Medrash. There's a Medrash Rabbah called Esther Rabbah, which is the Medrash Rabbah, the Medrash of the Sages on the Megillus Esther, on the Scroll of Esther. This story is brought in Medrash Rabbah Esther chapter 7, also in Yal Shemini. Which is another medrash on Megillus Esther, and a medrash called Agadas Esther, another medrash on Medrash called Medrash Abagurian, chapter four, and another medrash called Lekachtoiv, meaning that's a story that's found in many Midrashic sources transcribed by our sages. The story is that Haman convinced the Persian king, Achashverish, to issue forth an edict to Khalila exterminate the entire Jewish nation in one day minar young and old youngsters men, women and children and this was on the 13th of Nisan when Haman got the king to sign the edict that in 11 months from then or 12 months from then on the 13th of Adar depends if it would be a leap year everybody with the sanction, with the authority of the Persian emperor can kill and should kill every single Jew. When Haman received that edict and after Haman's letters that he sent out with the king's edict were signed, so the Midrash says, Haman and Kol Bnei Haman and his entire entourage, his entire clique, his entire group, were... Joyous, they felt so happy, and they were celebrating. And they were walking from the palace with a tremendous sense of glee and accomplishment. At last, Haman's deep hatred to the Jewish people will be alleviated, as in less than a year, the world, the planet, would be Yuden Reyn. And in their walk, they meet Mordechai. And the Medrash says that Mordechai was also walking on the street or on the road or wherever it was and he met shloisha tnaicho sawu Mordechai walking encountered three Jewish children who were returning from school boyem they were coming they were coming home they were returning mebase Sefer from school and Mordechai saw them from far and he pursued them he ran after them Haman when he saw Mardechai chasing, pursuing these Jewish children, he began pursuing Mardechai because he wanted to see and hear the nature of the conversation, what Mardechai will tell them. And this is what Mardechai heard. This is what Mardechai did. He came to one of the children, and he asked one of them, Psoikli Psukecha. Psoikli Psukecha means, Give me your Pasuk articulate your verse. Or in other words, tell me what you learned today. Tell me a verse that you learned today. So the child quotes a verse from Mishle, from the book of Proverbs chapter 3. I don't know how many children today learn Mishlei, but Jewish children used to go through the whole Tanakh. Ben Chamesh Lemikra, you're five years old. You go through the Tanakh, because that age, actually the mind is very, very fertile to be able to absorb scriptures, Tanakh. When you're 10, the mind, the brain is developed for Mishnah. When you're 15, the brain is developed for Gemara. I'm not going to explore the present educational system. It's not today's topic. But they knew Mishle. They were learning Mishle. Mishle chapter 3, <coughs> verse 25, has a posik. And this is what the child tells Marduchai. Altira mipachat pisai. Do not fear from a sudden terror, from a sudden pachad, dread, fear. Shoyas is, today they call Shoya the Holocaust. Shoya is a calamity of the wicked when it arrives. Don't fear. So he asked one child, Psychli he said, altira. The Medrash continues, The second child opened his mouth and he said, Ani hayoim. I also learned Tanakh today. And let me tell you with which verse I stood up and left school, meaning this was the last thing we learned. And he quoted a in Yeshaya. Isaiah, Yeshaya, Perik Ches, Possek Yud, chapter 8, verse 10. Utsu eitsa vesufar, dabru davar ki imanu el. Utsu eitsa means devise schemes and they will be annulled. Create edicts. They will not stand because God is with us. Pasa chashlishiva amar. The third child opened his mouth. And he quoted a verse also from Yeshaya, but not chapter eight, chapter forty-six. I guess he was in the next grade. Chapter forty-six, verse four: Mem vav dalit, va'ad zikna anihu, va'ad seva ani esboil, ani V'ani Va essa, Translation: Va'ad zikna anihu. Till you grow old, I will be the same. <laughs> when you turn gray, when you experience Seva, which is old age, it is I who will carry you. I was the maker. I will be the bearer, I will carry you. I will contain you and hold you and I will rescue you. That's the third verse. In fact, according to some texts of the Siddur, these three verses are said every single day after the three prayers after Aleinu, according to some of the texts. These three psukim, and in this order, from Proverbs 3, from Proverbs 3, from Isaiah chapter 8 and finally from Yeshaya 46 because of this medrash this is what Mordechai heard from these three children when Mordechai heard their answers what they learned in school that day he began laughing and he began to rejoice with great joy Oh my loy, Haman. Haman is standing there and watching all of this. And someone, someone says, "Why are you so excited about what these children said?" Remember, Haman and Mardukh had a very interesting relationship. Haman knew him quite well, and Mardukh knew Haman also quite well. I'm not going to say it was a love-hate relationship. It was not. There was a hate-hate relationship. But there was a relationship. So he asks him, why are you so excited? Omar, Mordechai told him, you know why I'm happy? I'm happy. Because of the great news that they have given me. I should not be terrified or scared. From the scheme that you have devised against us. Hence my great joy. Miyad Haman Arasha. Immediately Haman was enraged. He went into a frantic temper, Vaomar Omar and he said to Mardachai and to his colleagues, Ain Ani Shalech Yadithila the first victims, the first targets whom I'm going to murder is these children. He was so angered by what the children said about how Mardechai took it, he said these are the ones who have to be exterminated first. That's the end of the story of the Medrash. If we analyze and dissect the story, at the surface it seems like Mardechai was excited, he was so happy, because he saw in their communication to him a type of Navua, like a little prophecy, a Navua ktana, that he should not be afraid of the decree of Haman. The fact that they chose these psukim for him meant it was like a message from God not to be afraid as he tells, as he told Haman. We find in different places in Gemara this concept of psukli psukecha. People would ask a child, tell me the pasuk, and when they heard it, they felt that it was like a type of navua was some type of message a heavenly message but if that's the case every story in Torah is meticulous is precise if that's the idea that's the main theme of the story why does the medrash have to tell us all of the details that don't seem that don't seem so relevant to this message for example he met them when they're coming home from school that's where he met them, coming from the and that it was three children. And the three children said three verses. So you might say, well, it's all part of the story. He didn't go search for them. He encountered the children, he saw them in the street, and he ran after them. The fact that it was not only one child, the two children, it was three children. All the three children had a psorotovah, had something powerful to tell them. That's all true. So it becomes all part of the story. But why is it relevant to say they were coming home from school and if you met them a few hours later and if you met them the next morning before they went to school it happened to be when they came home from school. The measure shows us it was three it's like the number three is important it wasn't one it wasn't two it wasn't four it was three but if we go one step deeper, there's something else that may seem like a humorous question, but in ter- it's not a humorous question, it's a genuine question. In ter- everything, as I said, is meticulous and precise, even the order of something. Now, the order in which God had these three children say the psukim seems enigmatic and strange because, it's first, Altira, Utsu of Adzikna, it's not in the order of Nach. Because Utsu Eitzah and Vat Zikna, the last two, as I told you, come from the Sefer Yeshaya, which is before Mishlei. Isaiah is part of the Nevi'im, the prophets. Mishle is part of the Ksuvim, the writings. So Altira in Mishle should have been at the end. First Utsu Eitzah, which is Yeshaya Perik Ches. Vat which is Yishaya Perik Memvav. And Altira, which is Mishle Peirek, Gimel. Especially, you would assume that they're learning in school the Tanakh according to the order, which is Torah, Nevi'im, and Ksuvim. Now sometimes, you want to topsy-turvy it. You do the later first and the earlier last. But then the order again is wrong. It should have been first Altira, which is Mishle. Then, the earlier one, which would have been Utsu Eitzha, And then, the earliest one, which would have been, and then and then the order should have been zikna, and then the earliest one, which should have been Utsu Now you'll say, well that's what happened, why are you asking questions? It happened that way, this child heard this, this child learned this Pasek, this child learned this pasik. But, if Mardechai saw this whole thing as divine providence, was the order just random, or this order was precise and meticulous, but not according to the order in the Tanakh? When you read the details of the story, something else is very interesting. He turned to the one child and he says, tell me what you learned today. So he said, And then the Medgar says, the, Medgar says the second one opened up his mouth and said, I read a posik today, and this is the posik with which I left school. And that's the Pasek? Utsu a when it came to the first child, he asked the children, Psoik The first child, the Medrush says, he right away said the Posik, no introduction. The first one said, Oh my Eloi, tiram When it came to the second child, he said, wait, 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 you have to know what's going on. Let me tell you about my classroom. Okay. First of all, I was learning today. Second of all, let me tell you, with this posse, I stood up from school, it was the last thing. I learned. And he says the second pasik, which is Utsu Eitza In other words, he had to tell Mardechai. I also learned today in school. <laughs> and I not only learned this, I learned other stuff. But we ended the class, right? Right before we were dismissed. This is the pasuk. And what about the first child? The first child only learned one pasik a whole day. That's it. <laughs> it was a difficult class, I guess. They only learned, the teacher managed to get out one Pesach a whole day, obviously they learned more things. They're holding by Mishle, they're doing pretty well, they're almost finished Tanakh. But the first one didn't feel the need to say it. Mordecai said, give me a Pesach, he told them what he learned. The second one gives a whole introduction, and the second one tells him, I also learned today a lot of things, but this is the last thing I learned, which the first boy does not say. The third one also doesn't say it, but apparently, probably the, the third one is a, uh, is a but I mean, The third one also doesn't say it. The third one just says, Pasach HaShlishi. The third one opens and says, Va'ad Opens. Another interesting thing is when Haman asks, why are you happy? Mardechai says, I heard good news. Psuris Toivus. Was this good news? Or was this more like a, a Navua? Like we said before, that the Chazal saw these Pesukim as like a little, or some type of a prophecy from heaven, a nevuah But the word that Mardukha uses is, I heard a psura Toiva. Psurah means, I heard good news, good tidings. Now, he wasn't really saying good news. He was quoting a Pesuk that was written a long time ago on the Tanakh. The child wasn't talking about contemporary events and giving him news. It would have been more appropriate, it would seem that Mardechai would say, Nibuli Toiva. They prophesied for me something good is going to happen. The bigger question in all of this, though, is more basic. The Medrash says, when did this all happen? Right after the edicts, the edict was signed to exterminate the Jewish people. When Mardukhai met these children, Samach he wasn't only happy, he was ecstatic. To the point that Haman was enraged, deciding to kill the children. Why? He said, I just learned I don't have to be afraid of you and of your decree. But what happens after that? When you're reading the Megillah, you see, Mordechai heard what happened. He took off his clothes, he put on a sack. V'eper, he placed ashes on top of himself. He began hollering, screaming, bitterly crying and sobbing, with a whole initiation of projects, reaching out to Esther first and foremost, trying to persuade her to nullify this decree. Obviously, when you read the Megillah, Mordechai is struck with tremendous. Tremendous anguish, tremendous grief, tremendous money. He doesn't even want to wear his regular clothes. And Esther is asking him to change his clothes. He goes out to the street. He doesn't scream in a private cell. He goes, And when Esther doesn't want to go, he tells her, that You and your father's household will, will be lost if you don't stand up at this moment which obviously is clearly indicative that Mordechai did not see these psukim of these children as mamash, a prophecy that God told them, you know, you can go make a l'chaim, you can go back to the base Medrash and learn, you could go relax, it's all good. Because right afterwards we see that Mordechai is extremely, extremely perturbed and hurt and full of terrible pain. anguish. And yet, he's so happy. So what is this mixed emotion? On one hand, you're so happy, you're ecstatic, it's all good. So if it's all good, why do you think it's all bad? And if it's all bad, why do you think it's all good? When we delve deeper into the story, we see how meticulous and precise not only general ideas are in Torah, but even nuances and details, like the order of Pesukim. Like what each child said to create the tapestry and the mosaic of the understanding of Purim. Because when we look at the decree of Haman, it was clearly focused. L'Hashmid, Lara L'Abed, Eskola, Yehudi, Minar, V'Azak, and Zak and exterminate every single Jew, young, old, women, children, and men. Every single Jew. Why and how did this come about? You read the Megillah, and you see a story. You read the Medrashim and the Gemara, and you see another dimension to the story. Are the two stories contradictory? It's like we spoke many times about Medrash. There is the song, and there's the harmony of the song. The Megillah tells one story. The Megillah says that Ahasuerus appointed Haman, Haman, as his prime minister, the man in charge, all the servants of the king, prostrate themselves, kneel and bow down to Haman. Mordechai would not kneel, and he would not prostrate himself to Haman. Haman is filled with rage. And he decides, I don't want to only kill Mardechai. That's not going to satisfy him. <speaking in Hebrew> they told him that there is the nation of Mardechai. Naturally, he should kill Mardechai. He's not bowing down to you. He is stubbornly refusing to honor you and respect you. Get rid of him. <speaking in Hebrew> that wouldn't be enough. <speaking in Hebrew> they told him the nation of Mardechai. What did they tell him? They told them the nation of Mardukai. Those are the words in the Megillah. And therefore, Vayavakesh Haman Lahashmid Eskola Yehudim Am Mordechai. Thus he seeked to kill every Jew, everyone who's a member of Mordechai's nation. How do we to understand this when we read this text in the Megillah? Mardukai is not bowing down. He's enraged. He's furious. So kill him. No! They told him about the nation of Mardukai. Therefore, killing Mardukai won't do the job and when he plans to kill every jew it says he kills every, wants to kill every jew because they're all am mordechai we see this theme repeated because this is a central theme this means haman was feeling something about mordechai that didn't have to do with mordechai as an individual because if it would have had to do with mordechai as an individual he is your enemy nobody else is your enemy so kill him this means that haman investigated Externally and even more internally. Why is Mordechai not bowing down to him? Why? Why is this older, stubborn Jew tenaciously holding on to his conviction and he will not bow down to him? Perhaps Mordechai is arrogant. He's pompous. He doesn't bow down to people. Maybe Mordechai thinks he should be the prime minister. Maybe Mordechai is a sage is a very rep- man of renown and therefore he doesn't bow down to people maybe that's the reason <speaking in Hebrew> Haman found out that this is not because mardechai is a unique person or has his own issues or is a great scholar or is the leader of the sanhedrin or has been a leader all of his life <speaking in Hebrew> they told him about the nation of mardechai. And as the Megillah puts it, Asher Hu Yehudi. They told him that Marduchai was a Jew. That's the reason. That made all the difference. It could be Marduchai is a type of Jew. No, they told him he's a Jew. He Gidulay Asher Hu In other words, it's coming from the fact that he is a Yehudi, he's a Jew. If it's coming from the fact that he's a Jew, then he's not the culprit. Then every Jew who is a Yehudi is a shtickle He gido lo yis'am They explained to him, or he discovered inside of himself or outside of himself, that Mardachai will not bow down, will not surrender himself, his mind, his heart, to anything that is Havay As the Gemara says, the reason we're called Yehudis, is kaifer b'havay Dezara, umayde b'chalatayr. Because he's a Jew, he will bow down to nobody and anything, but to truth. Chay Sama Yishol Baruch Emes, <laughs> Hashem Aleikim. Emes, we say in the morning, Ani Hashem Aleikeichem. Emes, the Pesach says in Yirmiya, talking about Tanakh, Hashem Aleikim. Emes, Marduchai will not bow down, will not forfeit his identity, his life, his conviction to anything but truth, anything that considers itself a metzius, an egotistical reality, divorced from the ultimate truth, Mardukai will not bow down. This enraged Haman. Now let's understand the scene for a moment. You're the prime minister of the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire ruled the world. Chashverish was most powerful man in the time. You're his closest person. Because you're his closest person, you're his confidant. He trusts you. You're basically running the show. Akashverish we see from the Megillah, suffered from a lot of insecurity and a lot of paranoia. Hamant Achashverish was, if you know Russian history, what barrier was to Stalin. You feed him the right information and you basically run the country. Everybody is bowing down to Haman. Everybody. He walks in the street and everybody is taking pictures. It's an honor to have him at a dinner, at a reception, at an event. You see Haman and you prostrate yourself. There's one Alta his name is Mardechai. And he does his thing. And when Haman walks by, he saw uh, Mardechai sitting with a Gemara, right? Masachta brachas or Masaqta Zvachim. He has glasses. He looks up, and he sees Haman, and he puts his head back in the book. And he moves on. He doesn't jump up. He doesn't fall you No. Know, if you were Haman, what would you say? An altiyit. One man. pig deal. How much sugar can you be? You go to your therapist. What would your therapist say? Haman, your narcissism is big enough. I don't know if he would say it to Haman. Everyone is bowing down to you. One old Jew doesn't bow down to you. Big deal. Why is he so angry? Because Haman knew that Mardachai was right. (laughs) Haman knew that Mardachai is the only one who got it right. And therefore, everybody bowing down to him was worthless, as long as Mardachai didn't bow down to him. Because when you know that that one person holds on to the truth, Everything else becomes insignificant. Everything else becomes valueless. The whole world can sing your praises. The whole world can tell you how great you are. And then you come home and your wife tells you the truth. I don't mean your wife. That one person tells you the truth. You go Meshuggah! Why do you go Meshuggah? Why do you think celebrities are overdosing? Why are they drugged up? Why? The guy is at a concert. 500,000 people at the concert. They would lick his saliva. Yeah? The earth he steps on. They would lick up the earth he steps on. He walks on stage, and the ecstasy is infinite. And he starts taking it seriously. (laughs) If a half a million people believe I'm God, I must be God, no? Right? The concerto is over. Yeah, the lights go out. He takes a taxi home. You understand the feeling? He comes home, walks into the apartment or the house or the penthouse, which he built for twenty nine and a half million dollars, and his wife says, Can you take out the garbage? No. What is the guy supposed to do? Not drug himself up? Very good. Good advice. You say you should take out the garbage. But does God take out garbage? Okay. (laughs) Maybe the real God takes out garbage. (laughs) But fake gods don't take out garbage. That contrast is too painful. Now, if you wouldn't know that she's saying the truth, big deal! But you know that there's one person who got it right. (laughs) How knew Mordecai has it right? Haman knew. That's unforgivable. Now if Haman wouldn't be Haman, he would go, look at the mirror, and say, what is triggering me? Right? If he would come to these classes, right, he would learn that when somebody is really getting on your nerves, it has nothing to do with them usually. Usually. Even if it has to do with them... It's not you who's getting in my nerves, it's my thoughts of you that is creating such anger. So the person may be right or may be wrong, but Haman, look into your soul. I mean, that's what I would tell him if he would come to me. He never came to me. Look into your soul and ask yourself, how does Mordechai make you so crazy that he's not bowing, down? the whole world is bowing down to your success story. But Haman knew that Mordechai has the truth. And that's unforgivable. But he learned why Mardachai has the truth. It has to do. The reason Mardachai is not bowing down to him is not because of something that's owned by Mardachai. Mardachai has it because he's a Jew. It's because of the nekudas Hayadus, It's because of the nakuda of a Jew. That exists in Mordechai. But that Nekudah exists in every Jew. It exists in a two-year-old girl or in a one-year-old infant as it exists in the greatest sage of the Jewish people. That Nekudah exists in Nahr, Zokin, Taf, nasha, men, women, children of all ages, of all types, of all persuasions. In other words, it's not Mordechai who doesn't recognize him. It's Am Mordechai who doesn't recognize him. It's the nation of Mardukai that doesn't recognize him. Not only will they not bow down to him, they don't even recognize him as a metzius, as a serious reality. If so, what's going to help me if I exterminate Mardukai? Mardukai is just wearing on his sleeve the truth of the Jewish people. Other Jews repress the truth. They deny the truth to themselves. And they think others are fooled. But Mordechai is just manifesting the truth of a Jew. Who are Yehudi? But every Jew is the same Yehudi. May not be the same knowledgeable, may not be the same scholarly, may not be manifestly the same holiness and saintliness, but does they'll be Yehudi, the same Jew. You have nine Mordecais in a room, there's no minion. Even nine Moshe Rabbeinu's in a room, there's no minion. And then walks in an altar schlepper, yeah, who's coming from the barn with thick pants and ropes and fingers that you could see they have spent, they have spent six decades on a farm in a corral, and he makes dominion. Suddenly you could say Baruch <laughs> nine Moshe Rabbeinus couldn't do the job nine Mardachis couldn't do the job because as there's a point called Yehudi Mardachai Haman got this he sensed this because he sensed it he giduloi am in other words in every Jewish child he saw a little Mardachai could be a child in a crib what did he do why should he be killed why should she be killed what did they do they did not Refuse to bow down to you. We will educate them and they will be good assimilated Persian citizens. They will bow down to you. They will be wonderful Iranian citizens subjected to your majesty, Haman. Why murder a little child? I understand Mardukha is a stubborn Jew. Big shot. This kid is a little baby. People have compassion for children. In every Jewish child, he saw a microcosm of Mardukha infant girl, a young person an adult, a senior citizen if you're a Yehudi, you're a little Mardechai, and therefore Haman feels compelled to exterminate this person in the Megillah we see this theme something about the Jew is driving him mad and he has to get rid of it now you come to the Midrashim, you read the Gemara you read the Midrashim the Midrashim speak about another dimension And you'll say, why are they speaking about another dimension? What's wrong with this dimension? Nothing wrong. But there's the song and there's the harmony. Because the question is, how can Haman achieve this goal? How could Haman reach this state and this success of issuing forth such an edict on the Jewish people? So our sages tell us in Masech Megillah, track they dedicated to Purim, Talmud Megillah, page 12, Beis that there was a spiritual dynamic that was going on. There's the way it played itself out politically, but there was a spiritual reality going on, as Chazal put it in two words, Hishtachavul The Jews themselves lost their identity, or many of them. They bowed down to the tzelim, which is the deity. Because by Jews, they did not know who they are, or many of them did not know. And they surrendered. They forfeited that nekudas hayadus, that core Jewishness, which affects their essential relationship with their create, with the creator of the world. Since the existence and reality of the Jewish people is their relationship with God, they are a divine people. When they forfeited that essential connection of lo lo alayishtachava, we don't bow down to anybody or anything but God, but Hashem. When they forfeited that relationship, automatically it allowed for a concept to be brought in into the world that they don't have life in this world, Halila. Because internally, there was something within them that caused them to sever Their own relationship with their own oxygen. Their own relationship with their own soul. It played itself out through Haman and through Achashvedish and through politics and through Mises. That's the story on the newspapers or on the websites. I don't want to sound outdated. Or the blogs or Telegram, whatever, tweets. But the inner story, that you look in the Gemara and the Medrash, and it's not a contradiction. There's an inner story and there's an outer story. When the Torah of describes Mardechai, it says, um Mardechai knew everything that happened. And that's when he put on a sack and ashes and he screamed and he cried. It could have said, Mardechai Yada Asher nasa. He found out the news. Mardechai Yada Asher Nasa. Mardachai understood not only the political story, he understood the spiritual story. He understood the totality of the story. He understood everything that was going on. You could read the news, but you don't know what's going on. You know the outer layer, what the president said, what the vice president said, what the opposition said, what the Democrats said, what the Republicans said, what this prime minister said, what this Chacham of Helm said, what this one tweeted. That, that's the news. People read the news, they know the news. No, no. de there's understanding, just like in yourself, you could know your actions, or you could know the psychodynamic, that was a good word, the psychodynamic realities vibrating in your system that preceded the evolution that caused these actions. Sometimes it's unconscious. You may not know it. He had his finger not only on the outer pulse of the Jewish people, on the inner pulse of the Jewish people. That takes vision of a different magnitude. There are two people that could see the same reality. One sees the outer reality, one has an x-ray into the soul of the reality. And of course, if you only see the outer reality, you're not seeing anything. Because you're not identifying the cause of the infection. So there's an infection, and you put a band-aid, so nobody sees it. In Chelem, The bridge once was broken. It became old and broken. So people were falling into the river and getting injured and maimed or dying. So Chelem scholars met for seven days and seven nights and they made a decision. They're going to build a hospital right near the bridge. And they moved the hospital right near the bridge and from that day, the hospital is there and it saved countless lives. But isn't that what we do all the time? And when somebody says, why don't you fix the bridge? You say, no, 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 we have a messiah that the bridge has to be broken. We'll build hospitals. We'll build hospitals for the 16-year-olds, for the 18-year-olds, for the 25-year-olds. We'll build hospitals. Why don't you fix the bridge? No, this bridge must be broken. It's sacred. The brokenness is sacred. It's been thousands of years that way because I don't understand the kala nasa, It's not easy to look on my bridge and say, instead of building hospitals, why don't I fix my bridge? Because then the responsibility is on me to fix the bridge rather than on you to fix to create hospitals. Never mind, fixing the bridge will avoid all the hospitals and will also be much cheaper. But it's easier to project. Umar de Chayodes, nasa. he understood the inner motif the psychodynamic, the inner spiritual core of what allowed us. And this is what caused Mardechai such anguish. Because it's easy to see the external and get caught up with it, and it's important. But Mardechai understood he has to have his eyes on the internal. Because if you can repair the internal reality, then like a domino effect the outer layers will immediately be transformed. This is what caused Mardechai such grief. What happens if indeed the Jews did sever their lifeline? In Shechita they cut the esophagus and the trachea, the food pipe and the windpipe and it severs the lifeline. That's what Shechita is. What if they did sever their lifeline? What if they're not being oxygenated? even if the bowing down was superficial it was external but the fact that it can affect them in their practical life in their real lives mordechai felt perhaps the danger is deeper than what others might imagine which is why mordechai understood that this war has to be led on two different fronts There is the political war. In this case, he would send the queen, the first lady, to go persuade her husband, Achashveresh, to withdraw from his evil edict. Mardochai understood that. That's how it played itself out. But Mardochai knew that that will be completely ineffective and irrelevant if he will not engage in another project. And that is to trigger, to arouse, to bring out the nekudas hayados, the core of Jewishness in every single Jew, that it should shine brightly, that it should radiate, that it should emerge in its full manifestation, that the quality that Haman identified, they should be able to identify. Haman knew it, but they didn't know it. It's true about Jewish history. Sometimes non-Jews understand truths about Jews that Jews themselves don't understand. Sometimes in a very perverted and distorted way. Sometimes in a very negative way. But Sometimes they detect certain truths because we are invested in repressing it. And they're invested in highlighting it and accentuating it. So Mardachai needs that the quality of Mardachai, which is the quality of Am Mardachai, should emerge in their lives, in reality, in thought, in speech, in action, and in their daily life. When Mardachai met the three children, and Mardachai saw them coming home from school, and the three verses represented three messages that he heard from the children of, Mordechai understood something else. The litmus test of where the Jewish people are is always in the youth, always in the children. It's true in every home. You want to know who you really are? Ask your children. You want to know who you are in your unconscious? Ask your children. The children, the youth, are the litmus test where the Jewish people are when the three children told him these three verses, he was sameach, not to be afraid, because he knew that the Jews are ready, are ripe for transformation. When he heard that good news, he knew now he can go and do what he has to do, which is cry, put on a sack, put on ashes, scream in the street gather all the Jews of Shushan, create the fast and the crying and the mispate in order to bring out in a revealed way the core of Jewishness in every Jew to a point of mesiris nefesh, to a point of complete dedication. What are the three psukim that he heard? The first verse, ki Mishle. What does that say? It's speaking about a revealed problem. A person has a serious problem. Pachat pisa. Pachat pisa means a sudden dread. And you say, altira. Don't be afraid. No explanation. Why shouldn't I be afraid? There is a sudden terror. Umishoyah rishayim, a calamity of the wicked. Altira. No explanation. Don't be afraid. What's the second pasik? What is that saying? It's not talking about a tsara. It's talking about a scheme. Eitsa. Eitsa is a scheme, a plan. Somebody comes with an utsu You can devise an eitzah, a plan, a scheme. Vesufar, it will be annulled. This is not about a tsara that's actually coming, the poil in actuality. It's a plan. Utsu a davar. It's a word. Dabru davar. People are saying words, they're planning things. In other words, it's not an actual calamity. It's a idea, a scheme, or words, or plans to create chas Allah He says, Vesufar, it will be annulled. And here he gives an explanation. Why? Ki Imanu because God is with us. First Pasik, there was no explanation here. Ki Imanu The third Pasik is a completely different category. Va'ad Zikna, until you grow old, I'm here. Until you become gray, I will hold on to you. I will contain you. I made you. I carry you. I will embrace you. I'll hold on to you and I'll rescue you. This is not talking about a tzara. People getting older is part of the reality of life. It's part of nature. As somebody once said, I'm older than I once was, and I'm younger than I'll be, and it's not unusual. Brilliant, huh? The years are running by me, and I'm older than I once was. (laughs) That's how it is. It's not a tsura, It's not a distress. Yes, aging is not easy for many people. It takes a lot of inner work to really make peace with every stage of life. Because the temptation is, I wish I was this age, I wish I was that age, I wish I was that age, to really be able to march with the beat of life and to live in the moment is an avoid. But nobody's going to say, it's a calamity, it's a tzara. People get older. We're not talking about a tsara, not a revealed tsara, not somebody scheming to give you problems. We're talking about the natural flux of creation, the years run by us. In Yiddish there's a song, Vuzaynen Avek Deyunge Yaren, Vuzaynen Avek junge Where has my youth disappeared to? Why has my youth waned? What happened? This is part of the natural changes that Hashem created. And here, we have to say something. When you're old, Anihu, I'm here. Aniezbol, I carry you. I made you. I hold on to you. V'amalit, I'll rescue you. If we think about these three psukim, they represent three phases, or a three-step program, in the emuna and Betochen of a Jew and Hashem. The faith and the trust of a Jew and Hashem is manifested in the three-step program articulated by these three psukim. Don't fear sudden terror or a calamity of the wicked when it comes is saying the following statement. Sometimes I'm in a situation where under natural circumstances I should live in terrible fear. Fear, distress, and anxiety. Especially if you're a Jew, you're a hypochondriac, you're paranoid, and especially, somebody once told me, Rabbi, why, why just because I'm paranoid it doesn't mean the world is not out to get me. But sometimes you could point to your life and say, peace, a curveball happens in life. You get that telephone call you didn't expect. You get the report you didn't expect. Something happens in a marriage. Something happens in a family. Something happens with a child. Something happens within yourself. Financially, emotionally, psychologically, physically. Or on so many different levels. Internally or externally. What people know or what people don't know. And it's peace time. It's sudden. It's not like you had 20 years to prepare. The trajectory of your life was going one way. And suddenly, boom, peace Shoyas Rishoyim, it's a calamity. And it seems like wickedness has overtaken you. Naturally, one ought to surrender to a terrible panic, to a terrible fear. That's a human emotion. I'm frightened, I'm scared, and I could fall apart. I can easily fall apart. And we all know what that feels like. It's part of the human condition. And yet, this child says, Altira pachat, Pismem Rishoyim Kisavah. The Jew, the soul that remains aligned, has an inner core, an inner fortitude, that even if I may not understand, I may not have logical explanations, I may not be able to mathematically explain how things should or will work out. I don't know. There's a certain element of shock and wonder and mystery, but there's a certain core faith. <laughs> There's a certain core faith, which we call emuna, which doesn't mean life makes sense, but it means I'm like an infant in God's hands. The Kiva said, whatever Hashem does is good. Jew may not understand what this is called good. I never asked for it. I didn't want it. This was not the trajectory of my life. It's not a logical explanation. It should not be a logical explanation. We spoke a few weeks ago about that. When you try to reduce it to logic it often comes back to haunt you. It doesn't have to be logical. But there's a certain openness to a higher reality, which does not mean it's not scary, does not mean it's not difficult, does not mean it's not painful, and does not mean I can figure it out and wrap my brain around it and create closure and say, and they lived happily ever after. He acknowledges Pachat Pisaim, he acknowledges Tzoyas Rashaim, but he says, and yet... Al-Tira. God is holding on to you, and you hold on to Him. Don't surrender to panic. Don't surrender to fear. It's an emotion, it's a normal emotion, it's a human emotion, and yet I tell you, Al-Tira. You have the fortitude inside of you to be able to remain present, not to run away. Not to deny, not to repress, not to become naive, but not to fall apart into shambles and lose your identity and just be overtaken by fear. You're connected to a reality that is timeless, indestructible, and invincible. There is stage two. Utsu for Dabru Davar Keimanu Kale not just Altira. I'm not broken and shredded into fragments of fear. Here there's already a higher or more, I should say, more developed level of consciousness. The first one is basic, fundamental core. Here he says, Utsu etze v'sufar. Dabru He knows the schemes, the plans, far, will be annulled. The edicts, they won't stand. Why? Because God is with me. Here there is a deep experience of I'm with Hashem. I'm with Hashem at every moment. And therefore even an Eitzah, a scheme, the sufar, will be annulled. Not only am I not afraid, fear doesn't take me over, but there's even a certain confidence. There's a certain joy. I can emerge with a certain sense of triumph, tri- with a certain sense of triumph, with a certain sense of victory. Doesn't mean it's logical, doesn't mean I asked for it, doesn't mean it makes sense. But here, it's not just, I'm not afraid, and I'm hanging on to something very powerful. There is even much deeper than that. There's a certain sense of inner serenity. I know that I am with God. Or to put it differently, in the expression we often discuss at the Shiurim, I am an ambassador of infinity in this world. And some ambassadors are sent into very difficult places and very dark places to bring light into the darkness. I am not part of the darkness. I am not a victim of the darkness, even though it feels that I am the darkness. Ki <inaudible> Hashem is with me. What does it mean Hashem is with me? I am a manifestation of Hashem. Certain souls are sent into certain places that other souls are not sent into because it's God trying to transform these dark places through you because of the unique destiny and power of your soul. So you say, why me? Why my soul? I don't have the answers for that. I don't know if anybody has the answers for that. But what is it? It's the conviction of ki imanu and therefore there's a certain sense of confidence and menuches ha and menuches and a serenity. I was not sold, and I'm not a ping pong ball. I was sent. And since who am I? I'm just an extension of Hashem. Ki imonu his manifestation. It's like God himself is going into this place. I'm holding his hand. He's holding my hand. We're holding each other's hands. Don't walk in front of me. Don't walk in back of me. I hold your hand. You hold my hand. We're going through together. And there's a confidence here. I can extricate and separate myself from the darkness. There is a deeper level of consciousness. Even the laws of nature that God implanted into the world, you are never a victim of them. Because you're directly aligned with infinity. You say, yeah, but you're in the world. You're getting old. You're getting old. It's not a tsara. Vaatzikna anihu. Vatseva anihu. It doesn't just say ki manu God made this nature. Who made you get who made me get old? Who makes us who makes life move on? I'm not one I'm not fifteen. I'm not twelve. I'm not a spring chicken. I'm not twenty. People age, people's minds experience certain things. There's senior moments on every level of senior seniorship. I just made up a word. Every level of people growing older and older, with all these flugs. You know, you look at your kids, they were little cute angels. Now everything changes and you look in the mirror and you say, OMG, where has my life gone? This is part of nature. Ki God did this. Nobody else did this to you. The answer is, he says, v'adzikna anihu. I'm here for eternity. I'm always carrying you. You're with me. You're a part of infinity. When you're aligned with infinity, you're inside the world, but you're always above it. You're never ever a victim, even of what people call nature and natural circumstances. The first child, Marduch meets. It's not just the first child chronologically. It represents the genesis of Jewish education. The first child represents the Jewish child in the beginning of his or her education. So Mardechai says, Psykli Psukecha, tell me your Possek. Why? A little child didn't learn more than one Possek. The first child didn't learn more than one Possek. Certain ages? you sit a whole day, you learned one Pasik. Pseik I want to hear your Pasik. Not only that, he didn't learn more than one Pasik, but even before he learned, and even before he understood, because he's a Jewish child, there's an experience of al We implant in a child a feeling, don't be terrified in life. Don't be afraid in life. Don't be anxious in life. Things come. Things happen to children as well. When the child gets older, the second child tells Mardachai, I learned today in in school. In other words, he learned, and he learned other things, and he can understand. But let me tell you the last thing I learned. He is already capable of a deeper level of consciousness, a deeper level of amunah and bitachen. Not only is he not afraid, but there's a confidence and a certainty. And why? There is a third child, even more developed, older, more developed spiritually, academically, psychologically, physically, neurologically. And he continues the conversation of the second child. He doesn't have to repeat again. I learned other things and this is what I learned last because it's a continuation to the second conversation. And he becomes implanted with the idea that a Jew doesn't even have to be nispaul and affected and terrified by the laws and the limitations of nature that God created because it's all me. Nature is just a manifestation of divine energy. When did Mordechai hear them say these verses? Not when he met them somewhere at night or by day. <speaking in Hebrew> when they were returning from school. That makes all the difference. There is what you learned in school, but then there is when you left school. And it's a completely different experience. When your child is in school or when you were in school, the good old days, you didn't have a choice. You sat, at least in the old days, you didn't have a choice. Today, I don't know. Four-year-olds are already going on 19. You're in school, they teach you, they teach you. If you ever go to Lublin in Poland, so Yeshivas Chachme Lublin by Rebbe Meir Shapiro. On top of the building, he has a posek from Tehillim. L'chuvonim shimuli. Yiras Hashem alamedchen. From Tehillim. Go children, listen to me. I will teach you fear of God. L'chuvonim. Asked some cypher. Do you tell your child, Go away, come listen to me. Boyubonim shimuli. Come children, listen to me. No, vonim. Children will listen to you when they're near you, but there's something much greater. Lechuvanim Shimoli. Will they listen to me even when they go away? When I have them under my control, when they're young and small and impressionable and I could tell them what to do, of course they'll listen to me. They have a choice. They want ice cream. They'll listen to me. They want Mitzvah Shabbos pizza. They'll listen to me. They want cotton Candy. They'll listen to me. They won't listen to me. There'll be consequences. But there comes a day, Lechuvanim. The children go away. They're independent. They're autonomous. Now is a greater challenge. Shimuli, can you still hear the voice of your mommy, of your tati, of your zayda, of your baba? Can you still hear the voice of God? Have years your consciousness been inculcated with the values, with the morals, with the convictions, with the fortitude that you need? In school is one thing. More <inaudible> than met these children when they left school. It's not only in. In, in Beis Hasefer, with is a system. And you're part of a system. Bayim e Beis Hasefer means they left the Beis sefer. What do they walk with in the street? What are they holding on to? When Mordechai heard these three psukim, in this order, from these three children representing the three stages of Emunah, what did he realize? He saw that by Jews, children, the Nekudas Hayadus, the core Jewishness, is as wholesome as it gets. It's as powerful, as potent, as it could be. And if it's by the children this way, it means this is the litmus test for the Jewish people. It means that even by those Jews where it's not revealed, where it's not manifested, these children we'll be able to bring it out, we'll be able to arouse it, that it should be manifested. That's why it says that Mardechai was so happy from the psuris toivus shebisruni, the good news that they gave him. They didn't give him good news, they were quoting psukim. We said it should have been more, it was a prophecy. No, they gave him good news. What was the good news? The words that they spoke were the good news that by the Jewish people, their core relationship with God, which makes them indestructible like Hashem, is absolutely wholesome and will be wholesome. And if that's the case, ultimately, I don't have to be afraid because the inner core of what allowed Haman to do what he did will be healed, it will be repaired. And therefore, on a political and an external level, the edict will also be obliterated. When Haman heard this, he understood this. So what did Haman say? I'm going to kill the children first. Why? Why? Just because they said Psukim? Just because they made Mordechai in a good mood? Mordechai is the culprit. Kill him first. No, I'm gonna kill the children first. Because Haman sensed what Mordechai just sensed. That these children represent the continuity of Mordechai, and they represent the core of what Mordechai stands for. Lo <laughs> Lo Towards him and towards any other avodah zara, it's in the tenakas, in the children, that he saw this entire powerful truth. If you think about it, Purim, the Gemara says, was a reenactment of Matan Torah. Chazal say it says in the Megillah, "Kimu veKiblu Hayyudim," the Jews affirmed and accepted. So the Gemara says in Mesechta Megillah, what does this mean? And in Mesechta Shabbos, Kimu Ma Kvar. What they once accepted at Mount Sinai, they reenacted, and they finally truly internalized it at the time of Purim. And in a way, it was even deeper than by Matan Torah. Because Matan Torah says God put a mountain over their head. By Purim, it was completely from their inner commitment and inner volition. By Matan Torah. It says Hashem told Moshe before I give the Torah, I need a guarantor that somebody is going to keep it. So Moshe offered the prophets, Moshe offered the sages, Moshe offered the elders, and God refused. Finally, He said, "Baneinu, areivim ba'adeinu," or "Baneinu, irvim my son." Our children will be the guarantors. That was accepted. So what happens by Achashverosh? That new matan Torah requires the same guarantors. Who were the guarantors? The children. The first three guarantors were these three children. It says later, Mardechai gathered 22,000 children. Why did he have to gather them? The Medrash says, because they became the guarantors. This was not just in potential, in actuality, the kids, the children, brought out what remained dormant in their parents. That's why, it could be a second Matan Torah. If you look at Jewish history, Haman understood this, and all the Haman's in history understood this brilliantly, sadistically and tragically. One could wonder, the Haman of the last generation had the glee and the passion to murder every Jewish child with the same venom and the same conviction as the most important and prominent jewish rabbis sages leaders activists sadikim rebbes rosh yeshivas, rabbis or all types of jews of age of renown of prominence it made no difference a child was murdered and exterminated with the same hatred and venom and usually with even more venom and hatred And one wondered, where, where does this come from? They're not challenging you politically, they're not challenging you militarily, they're not challenging you territorially. Where does this come from? What is more, the same venom expressed to the most religious Jew was expressed to the Jew who would scream, I'm not Jewish, I'm not Jewish, I don't do anything Jewish. There's nothing about me that is Jewish. Nothing. My entire life was a rejection of the Jewish faith and the Jewish culture and the Jewish religion. It did not help. Everybody was equally sent to the gas chambers. Somebody said, I don't believe, I don't believe in any of this. You could trust me. I don't care for this. I'm not the Yudah. It was irrelevant. Haman, like Hitler, Yamach sensed Am Marduchai. They sensed, in their distorted way, a truth. What was the truth? That every single Jew is Masse Yodai Lehispoir. That every single Jewish soul, and every single Jewish body, not only the soul, is a piece of divinity. And if you want to destroy God, you'll achieve it if you can destroy every jewish body not every jew not only a jewish soul and even if the jew says i'm not religious and i'm not jewish and i'm an intermarried for generations the evil sensed the kedusha that exists even in the smallest jewish baby who grew up in a family that was completely alienated from judaism with the same Hatred as the greatest Jewish holy saint or Kabbalist or mystic or teacher of Torah? Because there was a truth there. And the truth is that there is a holiness invested in this Jewish infant and not only in her soul, even in their goof, in their physical body. In their physical body, their hatred was towards the body equal to the soul. Look what they did with the Jewish bodies. Why did the body trigger so much? Because the body is equally divine. (laughs) It's a twig of my plant, the work of my hands, which I boast with, I'm proud of. In other words, it's a piece of divinity, of infinity. That's what they saw in every Jew. Our challenge is, can we see it in every Jew? Can we see it in ourselves? Somebody once asked the Kloisenberger Rebbe, who was in Auschwitz, and lost a wife and 11 children there. What's the meaning of the Possek? Hashem Yispar B'chsoiv Amim. God counts according to the writings of the nations. What does this mean? It means that Hashem celebrates Rosh Hashanah on January 1st? Hashem Yisper bechsoiv Amen. He counts according to the writings of the nations. The Kloisenberger Rebbe, half humor, half jest, a lot of irony and a certain amount of pain, responded. He said, go over to a prominent rabbi, or Rebbe, or Rosh Hashiva, a prominent Jew, very religious and holy and observant, and say, give me a list of all Jews who you consider to be real Jews. The real thing, give me a list. And they'll say, oh, this one, uh, he dresses this way. It's not in the list. Uh, uh, She, uh, uh, their mind is warped. Uh, This one doesn't really believe what you have to believe. Who's going to be in the list? His Hevra. You know, the guys that, the real, the real Jews. They dress like me, they think like me, they walk like me, they talk like me, they believe what I believe, they, they, my mahalach, my schnit, my chaloiz, my nusach, my derech, my god. The real Nekud everybody else, Nebach Nebach I'll say tell them for them. Hashem, yisper, bich, amem. When Mashiach comes, Mashiach is gonna want a list of Jews. So Hashem is going to count according to the list of the nations of the world. When you'll ask Hitler or Rawani or Nasrallah or Ahmadinejad, could you make me up a list of truths? Make me able to. Uh, he doesn't wear a streimel on then uh, He wears a hat. Uh, he david. No, no one of them will be a full Jew. Hashem yispa b'chsoi God will count, counts according to the writing of the nations. I was once at, a, at an event, so somebody there, it was a particular community, somebody there challenged me and said, you know, I watch some of your shiurim and I read some of your writings, and I see that you're uh, you 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 are Makariv, you reach out and you embrace all types of Jews, even those that are that you're not allowed to. You should alienate them, you should distance yourself from them. What's your heter for this? What's your what's your permission for this? So I said it's a good question. I'll tell you my litmus test. I ask one question. Would Mengele allow him into the gas chambers? If Mengele would allow him into the gas chambers because he's Ayuda, this is Ayuda Famir. That's a good Jew for me. This means there's a lot of holiness there. Because he hasn't heard enough of my classes. You're going to send him more of my classes. He'll stop asking. Eight. That means there's enough holiness there. You know what they say in English? Show me who your enemies are, and I'll tell you who you are. You have to look who historically were the enemies of the Jewish people, and you could find out who the Jewish people are. People talk about the new anti-Semitism. The new anti-Semitism is frightening and tragic, but it also has a very profound message to tell, and that is this. People often wonder if the Jewish people historically are still the same people who stood at Sinai? Are we the same Jews who celebrated Purim and Shushan with Mordechai and Esther? Are we the same Jews from whom Rabbi Akiva was produced? Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was produced? Dover HaMelech, the Rambam, Rashi, the Rajbe, the Ramban, the Arizal, the Balshemtev, are we the Vilnegon? Are we those same Jews? doesn't look that way always. It's been thousands of years. And maybe our role has more or less ended. Yeah, eat some sushi, eat Chinese food, celebrate some Jewish holidays. But our role that God appointed us to change the world has has ended, perhaps. But the new anti-Semitism shows that the Jewish people have lost not an ounce of our vigor, of our stamina, and most importantly, of our holiness. Because how else can you explain an obsession with a nation that doesn't constitute even one quarter of one percent of human civilization. We're like a, Israel is like a match on a football field. It's the size of New Jersey for heaven's sake. What's this obsession? It's all about the Benjamins. Congressman Omer, it's all about the Benjamins. Where, where does this come from? The Jewish people have not lost an ounce of their spiritual power and that's why wherever there's evil and toxicity, it still identifies the Jew as a target. Haman saw in a Jewish baby's body the epitome of godliness. Can you? Can I? Can we? May <laughs> Mardechai saw from these children that that hope is never lost because they carried on their sleeve those three stages of Jewish consciousness, that three-step program of Because whenever you want to know the future of the Jewish people, whenever you want to know the situation of the Jewish people, whenever you want to understand the Jewish people, you have to always look at the children. Look at the children and you will know the people. Don't look at the alta, whatever the word is. The old sages, they're good. Look at the children. And look at the children when they leave school. Look at the children when boyim safer, when they leave school. In other words, look at who the children are internally. Look at their inner truth, inner convictions, inner soul. What Mordechai was teaching us in this story was that when we educate our children, even in their youngest, most primal years, years when the brain is developed, as a child's brain is developed, even before they're capable of an intellectual, cerebral, academic understanding, a Jewish child is inculcated with the idea that he or she must fear nobody and anything. The Balshemtiv was five years old when he became an orphan. His father called him over to his deathbed, and he said, "Yisraelik, habin zachnisht. The don't be afraid of nobody and anything in the world, only from Hashem Himself." This was the last parting words of a father to a five-year-old little orphan who lost his father and his mother. Reb Eliezer and Sarah, and became a man who revolutionized the landscape of Judaism. The Balshemtiv. It became a pillar. He told them one more thing: love every Jew with every fiber of your being. These became the two pillars of the teachings of the Balshemtiv. Don't fear anybody or anything but God. He's five years old. That's the first pasuk in the earliest ages, to be able to inculcate in that child, you don't have anything to fear. Because if you fear only God, then you have nobody else and nothing else to fear. If not, you have a lot to fear. The child gets older, the second theme can be developed. Because every age needs the themes that are appropriate to that age child gets older this utsvaits of asuf or dabru ki kel. child gets older There's vatzikna sevani this was communicated to the children then it changed the trajectory of mardachai's understanding of the jewish people because it means that it's not only in school they take it with them into their lives into their homes and it's fascinating the last prophecy that was given by Hashem is the prophet Malachi. The Prophet Malachi is the last prophet in the beginning of Sheni. The Gemara says, Esther, Soivzman Hanavu, a prophecy ended at the time of Esther, at least prophecy on that level. What was the last prophecy that's transcribed in the Tanakh? The last chapter of Malachi? Hinini sheleach lachem. <laughs> Al The end of the God's message. The beginning of Malachi, by the way, is Hashem. I love you. And even if you'll say to me, Ba there's nothing to love, you ever say that? There's nothing to love. I tell you, I still love you. I know you don't believe it. You think there's nothing. To, that's the beginning of Malachi. What's the end of Malachi? What does this mean? He will return the hearts of the parents, on the children. Say the commentators, through the children through the children, will be the Because the youth of the Jewish people always contains its eternal truth, its eternal seeds, its eternal power, and its eternal vigor. The youth gets it. The youth understands it. The youth feels it even before it understands it. And that's how he finishes that posse, kinin yishelech lechem, eselioh wanovi, lefneibo yoimashem agadol vahanoira. Before that great day and awesome day comes, veheshiv, leiv aves al bonim al yedei bonim. Before that yoim agadol vahanoira, bimheirabi amenu, amen. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful week. Please remember, next week, Tuesday, 73, Forshey Road. Have a wonderful week and Afrelichin Rosh The first thing is Mordechai was calm. He was secure. He was confident. But he went out and he aroused the whole movement in the Jewish people. And he went out and he convinced Esther to go to Mordechai. In other words, Mordechai didn't just sit back and say, Okay, these kids are great. Mordechai now took his confidence, his calmness, but he went out on a serious on a serious campaign, and he didn't stop. Wow, so and it God. wasn't fake. It wasn't like, "Oh, guys, let's do something." In other words, he took it seriously because he understood that the the, the situation is ripe, that God is here, so
1: that but that we have to be the co-partners.
0: Meaning they have to have an extreme moon, but they have to be Like this You're welcome. Thank you for coming. I think this was like an unlimited shtablis. It was like the furthest. Which was essential; it I mean, had to be. I mean, he did he did very powerful shtablis, but it was all based on his on his faith, mm-hmm. and it was based on his betachin, and it was based on his simcha that he had, which is what drove Haman crazy because Haman felt that it's deja vu all over again. In other words, he was trying to get rid of this, and these kids are representing something that's indestructible. And He felt it, so he was so angry. Based on that, wow. Mardachai. Yeah, not only that, the Amuna I think, fueled the actions. They were done with the same intensity like the Amunah. Meaning, in a way, the Ishtadlus is more powerful because it's not coming from insecurity and panic. It's coming from wholesomeness. So the Ishtadlus is more holistic. You know what I mean? Uh It's not Ishtadlus that's coming just from panic. It's coming from a place of, of wholesomeness and serenity. The kind of a that did was also not something that's quite about you, it was it was and Shuvah and but Esther he sent a Yeah, all oh, right. Esther yeah. he sent a You have to go it speak. Was the minimal. It wasn't like, it right, wasn't like, it was it the was diplomatic. The that, yeah. yeah, and even Esther said, I'm gonna fast for three days and go gather the Jews. In other words, oh, yeah. she understood also that it's not only a chashverish, I'll be on his good side and I'll convince him. She understood that there's an inner story here that Ahasuerus is playing out. So yes, you have to go to Ahasuerus. Yeah. So That's what God wants. It, but you also have to cover all sides of the yeah. as well. Well wow, yeah. interesting. Right, Haman was wondering, where is this mysterious nefesh from? Where is this layichri v'layishtachava? And the Megillah says, they told Marduchai every single day. Ka'amra may love yoyim They were telling him every single day, why are you not bowing down to Haman? This was literally a daily occurrence. V'layisham aleim. Marduchai was just not listening to them. And Rashi says that Mardachai told them that, He will never ever bow down to Haman, never. Why? Because he's a Jew. Haman wanted to understand, where is this conviction coming from? Where is this truth coming from? Where is this mysterious Nafesh coming from? Is it Mardachai's brilliance? Is it Mardachai's emotion? Is it Mardachai's ecstasy? Is it Mardachai's passion? And they explained to Haman, "No, it's not that Mordechai is an exception; he's a Yoytzem and a Klal. He gidu loyasheru Yehudi." Mordechai told them, "He gidu loyasheru Yehudi. He is a Jew." When they asked Mordechai, "Madua to even es Why are you transgressing what the king said?" It's not that they learned that Mordechai is a unique exception. No, Huyuhuti. He's a Jew. In other words, every member of the nation is really this way. He may deny it, it may be concealed, it may be hidden, it may be unconscious, but literally every member of the nation is really this way. If he's a Yehudi, if so, what is it going to help Ammon if he kills Mardechai? He a lawyer's Am There's still going to be a whole nation that doesn't recognize his mitzvahs. that doesn't recognize the ego. Of Hamlin that doesn't recognize the, the powerful reality of Hamlin, divorced from Hashem. So, what's going to help him kill Mardechai? That's why it says, the whole nation of Mardukai has to be killed. You understand? That's, that's the issue. He learned that it's not because Mardukai is a unique yoitzim and No. It's the whole nation this way. If the whole nation is this way, he this is what a Jew is. This is a Yehudi. A Yehudi is connected to Hashem. He's essential to Hashem. He will not bow down to any, anything else. He will not surrender. He will not forfeit any other mitzvahs outside of Hashem. About the children. Yeah, no, that was the question. If it's like a prophecy... So it could have been one child. Hashem could have sent one child. Even if he's sending two, why two? Why why three? Why not two? Why not five? Yeah? And, and if Hashem is sending them as a Nevuah, so why is it not the order of the Pesukim? Seder in Torah is important. There's Neviim, there's Ksuvim, there's Yeshaya, there's Mishlei. why not on the Seder? So that's the answer that it was about the Teichen. It was about the Teichen of the three psukim. It has to be in this order and it was three children because each one represents a different Akuda. So the first child, is because when a child is small, before he's developed, you talk to him about what he can see, what is right in front of him, how to deal with what is right in front of him. Then when a child gets older, you start helping him prepare in life for that which will come in the future. It's not just about dealing with what is right now but to establish for yourself a system in life that is good, that is proactive. Even if something is not happening right now, you create a system that allows you to be able to live in a healthy and productive way. It's not just about dealing with what is right in front of you. Part of education is understanding there's consequences, there are results, there's short-term, there's long-term. Very powerful in education. This is where a child has to learn, not only about short-term, but about long-term about the present and about the future, about living a lifestyle that is, that is productive, that is meaningful, that is healthy physically and spiritually. At, at, at a younger age, you deal with what is. This is, this is. this is what I see, this is what I feel, this is what I hear. But as we get older, we try to develop a sense of a future. So that's why the first child is... <inaudible> He's speaking about the pacha that's there, the shoyas rishayim that's there. And we say, you're a Jewish child, don't be afraid. You're in a world, atem amat there's challenges, but don't be afraid. There's no fear. You're, you're, you're a maimid, there's a munah, you're not afraid. You're not, you're not terrified. You're not in panic. You don't fall apart. A deeper level in a a deeper level in development is utsu a vesufar. It's still only an eitsa. It didn't happen yet. It's, it's a plot. It's a plan. Dabru dover. It's an idea. But Kimono Kale. You understand that Hashem is also with you. So therefore you can prepare for the future. Your own Sahara, Utsu from your own from your environment around you. And you're already using your mind. You're older. So even as somebody is planning, there's the concept of Kimono Kale. And as we explained, it's not only, it's not only you're not afraid. Sometimes a person is not afraid. That's the first level, he's not afraid. Then there's something even deeper. There's a confidence, there's a certainty that so far it's going to be annulled. no, because he understands. There's a certain confidence, there's, a, there's an optimism. And then there's even a deeper level that Teva, even Teva is not a master over you. Why? Because Vat Zikna niu, Vatseva niasbal a Niosisia, ni aesa, So may oysis husha deposit, mayasis hashamaya mate chasu. Don't be scared even of the signs of heaven. You're not a victim even to nature. You're one with divinity. Imanu, ki k a ni ani I made nature. Ani esa, and I'm going to bear you. Ani esbal, I'm going to contain you of our malit and I'm going to rescue. Those are the three stages in Chinuch, the three stages in Amun Ebetachan, one even deeper than the other. That's what Mordechai observed. That was the Psuria that changed everything. Yeah. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.